Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a very special Kabbalah and Coffee. And you'll find out soon why it's very special. It's very special. It's always, well, we, it's always special, but this is very special. It's very special because today we're going to be talking about some of the deepest Kabbalistic stuff that's out there, that was ever taught by the Arizal. And it's going it, to, but we're going to get there. We're going to get there. We're getting there soon. Rabbi Isaac Luria. I'm, I'm going to present everything. We're going to go through everything uh, from beginning to end. No, no, no. Not yet. Not yet. We'll get there. All right. For reference purposes only. Not to suggest that we're going to make any progress necessarily in the text. But for reference... I don't usually say that, but today I'm fairly certain that we're reference uh, purposes only. We are on page 50, chapter 5 of Feminine Faith. All right, this is also a good uh, place marker for my recording, just in case. All right, page 50, chapter 5, Feminine Faith. We've been talking about the spheros, the mystical divine energies that are ever-present on every level of existence. Every plane, every world, every realm is infused with these ten energies called the spherot. Spherot, by the way, I don't know if we've translated them recently, Spherot could mean, uh, Spherot has three meanings. One of the meanings of Spherot is that it's related to the word Sapir, which is a sapphire. Another meaning of the word Spherot is, I don't know the word that it's associated with, but it means illumination or luminance, uh, brightness. And another meaning of the word Spherot is Lispar, which means to count. Counting. So there's counting, sapphire, and that which illuminates. All of these, can, all of these express, all of these meanings are appropriate when we speak about the, the divine spherot, the energies of God that, uh, that are all throughout creation. They are, uh, they are dimensions, or they are, they, they are energies that are illuminating the worlds. They're bringing light like a sapphire which shines, like the other uh, meaning of the word which also means radiance. It brings radiance into an otherwise dark place. And likewise, uh, it has a finite number, 10, as the Kabbalah says, 10 not 9, 10 not 11. There's specifically 10 spheros, 10 energies that are are utilized in, in the process of creation. We also explained in the last few weeks that these 10 energies exist within the human being as well. Not only do they exist in the mystical realms and in the worlds and in, this, in, the, in, in, in the upper chambers, but they also exist within the soul of each of us. Each of us has an ashama, has a nefesh, has a soul, and the soul contains these ten energies. There are three intele- the way it plays, in, plays out in the human being, there are three intellectual energies, seven emotional energies, generally, seven, three and seven. These are the energies that exist within, within the human being. Now, in the last few weeks we've explained the interplay between various energies. And we made various classifications based on teachings of Kabbalah and Hasidic philosophy. We said that Chachma and Bina can be seen as two aspects that, are, uh, that have a certain interplay. Chachma provides the seminal wisdom, Bina develops it. So, yeah, let's, uh, whoever would like a chart for reference, we're not going to get heavy, we've, we've gone through this pretty heavily. Uh, please take a pass if anybody needs. Um, but if you need it, take it, please. So Chachma is the seminal point of wisdom. Bina expands on it. And so here you have a masculine and feminine interplay. Then we spoke about 
the six emotional, generally speaking, six emotional powers of Chesed through Yisod, and explain that that they are the um, the basic emotional uh, powers, emotional slash practical powers, and yet Malchut, the final power, the final energy, is that which brings forth, that which speaks or that which acts uh, something else into being. The way we explained it, and we need to go into this again, just on the top, just so that we can develop it further. The way we explained it is in the example of building a house. You want to build a house, so it starts with an idea, then you develop the idea, and then you see how you feel about the idea. What do you want? What do you don't? What, 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 what do you want? What don't you want? So you go through the whole process in your mind and in your heart to figure out what you're attached to, what you're not attached to. But then at a certain point in time, it comes to, to, a, to, a, to a place where you actually need to deliver on this house. You actually need to go ahead and start building. Or with a teacher. So you plan, you, you have an idea of what you want to teach, you filter it out, you think about what the student can, what, what the student can, can receive, what the student can't receive, what I want to teach, what I don't want to teach, what I have time for, what I don't have time for. And after, all that, after that whole process, then you actually begin the delivery of the lesson, you begin speaking or you begin teaching, communicating. Malchut is the leader. Malchut is uh, royalty, sovereignty, leadership, Malchut is also communication. Malchut is dibur, Malchut is speech, Malchut is also action. Malchut is really about communication, it's about delivery. So this is the way we explain. So the six energies that immediately precede Malchut, we said are called Zah. Zah is a masculine energy, Malchut is a feminine energy. Zah is, in a sense, providing, uh, in a very strong way, the emotional uh, uh, Mal, the, the six energies are stating their energy. Chesed is all about love. Gvur is all about uh, discipline. Each one is stating its, its position in a very strong way. Malchut receives, accepts, takes within it all of the six energies and then from those energies produces something brand new. That's the role of Malchut. So the energies, and this is where I want to go today, at least at the top. The energies preceding Malchut are all part of the definition of that realm. Whereas Malchut is really all about the subsequent realm, or the next realm, the other realm. So Chesed is about self, Malchut is about other. Gvura is about self, Malchut is about other. What does this mean? I think we, uh, we started giving the example last week as well. Uh, the classic example of Abraham, Avram. So Abraham is given a mitzvah of circumcision at the age of 99. And so he fulfills the mitzvah, and three days pass, and he's in pain. And it says, by the way, that on the third day, the pain is the strongest. That's what it says in, uh, in, in, in Torah and the Talmud. It says on the third day after a procedure, after surgery, whatever, the pain is always the strongest. Okay, so it's the third day, and... There's a, Hashem has made the earth, at least the area, very hot. The sun is in its full strength. And there are no passers-by. No one's coming around to his tent. Abraham, as we know, is all about hospitality. He has a tent that's open on all four sides to welcome people, but there's no one passing by because it's so hot. <coughs> so, our sages tell us that Abraham is, was actually pained at that moment. Not the physical pain of the circumcision, but the emotional pain or the... It's the inner pain of not being able to share hospitality with somebody else. Not being able to host, not being able to give someone food, not being able to, you know, it's... 
I guess our, our mothers or our bubbies got it from Avram. Come eat, come eat, you have to eat. And if you don't eat, it's, it's actually painful for me if you don't eat. Right? It's actually... So this was Abraham, this was Avram. Avram, it pained him if there, was no, if there were no guests for him to, uh, to bestow hospitality upon. Which tells us a very simple point. That chesed, which is love, or giving, kindness, etc. Chesed can be experienced in a sense, can be felt, can be fully, can be fully manifest even without anybody there. You can have a full-blown experience of chesed without any other person being there. Abraham, in that moment, was filled with a sense of, I want to give, I want to extend kindness, I want to extend love, I want to... He was filled with that sense, even without anybody else being there. Even though chesed dictates that I want to give to somebody else, so somebody else seems like they're in the picture, but chesed is really about me wanting to give, as opposed to the other receiving. It's really about me wanting to give. The same thing is true with Gvura, in the sense of withholding, Teferet, Netzach. All of those powers are all about me. They're all ways in which I am defined. Malchut is not about me. Malchut is about the other. Malchut is about leading or is about communicating. Think about speech. For yourself, you can think. If you want to, right? If you want to ponder an idea, self, within self... That's what thought That's what thought is for. That's what machshava. That's what thought is for. Thought is self. Dibur, which is speech, is only designed for another. Speech is designed for another person. So without another person, there's no reason to speak. Even if we speak to ourselves, right? Even if we talk to ourselves, it's not the same concept of speech as communication. We're not communicating to ourselves. We're just we're just thinking out loud. We're not actually speaking. It's a, there's a difference there. Speech only exists when there's someone else there. In other words, it only exists in response to somebody else, in response to the need of someone else to know how you feel, so you're compelled to speak. In order for someone else to know what you're thinking, you're compelled to speak. If no one else exists, there's no need for communication. Think about it. You're on a desert island, there's no one there. Not even a soccer ball. Right. There's, there's no one there. There's, huh? Hashem is there. Okay, fine. So let's. let's I know it's a very good question. No, no, you got a very good question. Let's cut God out of the picture for a second. All right. Never thought I'd heard that. That's how we like it. No, I. No, you're right. But no one's on the island. No one. Not a soul. Not a soccer ball. Nothing. No pineapples. What are you eating? I don't know. I guess a coconut or two. All right. So. Is there a need for communication? Do you need the power of communication? You don't need it. Oh, so right. So if you want to communicate, but you don't, only for yourself. But in other, in other words, my point is here that communication. Say it again. Right. Smoke signals, flares. No, no, you're right. You're right. You still want to be able to communicate it. All right. So no, the point is that communicate. Here's here's really the point. There's certain powers that Kabbalah says are self-generated and certain powers that are responsive that come in response to something outside of oneself. In other words, in other words, certain powers are self-igniting, 
other powers are only ignited by an external source. Love is self-igniting. Love is something that comes from within. Malchut, which is leadership, which is or the way we're explaining it in the sense of whether it's communication, whether it's leadership, whatever the, whatever the form it's taking, Malchut comes as a response to something outside of oneself. Someone else is there, so now they need to know how I feel, they need to know what I think, so I need to pull on, I need to, to, to expose, to bring out, to elicit, to uh, bring to the surface my power, my ability to communicate. Communication then is only born of a need for someone else to, speak, to, to understand. Which is why, by the way, communication is something that evolves. Language didn't always exist. Although maybe there were other nonverbal forms of communication, but language didn't always exist. Language is a response to the needs, and the more we understand the needs of another, the more we'll have to develop our tools of language. And now we know that in relationships, right? In relationships, it's critically important for the other person to know how you feel. So therefore, we have all of these tools of communication in order to get there. In other words, we've identified the need of the other, and therefore we say, well, the other needs to know, needs to be in the same space as you. How are you going to get them there? Through communication. In other words, it works from outside in. It works from, there's a need of someone else, therefore I need to communicate. Well, I need to work on my, my power of communication. What's the point? What's the point of all this? Very simple. The six, we're going to focus on Zah, the six versus the one. The six energies are about self. Malchut, which Zah, the six energies are about self. Malchut is about other. Which means something simple and profound. When we talk about creation, Malchut relates to our world, and the other six energies don't. This is as we said last week. The other six energies don't relate to our created realm. They're all about self. Let's, let's, put a, let's put a label on it. Let's say you're touring the world of Atsilut, the world of emanation. So they've developed a rocket that can not only break, out the, uh, break outside of uh, the Earth's atmosphere, but we're breaking out of the atmosphere, the realm of the world of creation, the world of formation, sorry, the world of action, the world of, cre- of formation, the world of creation. And now you find yourself transported into the mystical realm of Atsilut, the world of emanation. It's not a physical world, it's a spiritual realm. And by the way, it's right here as well. So you're in Atsilut. So in Atsilut there are powers. All of these energies. You ask Chesed, what are you about? So Chesed will say, I'm about Chesed, I'm about love. What type of love? Love of Atsilut. Love of the world of emanation. So what do you know about the next world down? What do you know about Bria? What do you know about uh, the world of creation? I don't know creation. I know, I know me. This is how I feel. This is who I am. Chesed is all about self. Chesed is a defined self, in a sense. Chesed is part of the definition of self. What is self, if not a composite of Chesed, and Gvura, and Teferet, and Netzach, and Hod, and Yisod? Right? Self is defined by all these energies. Malchut relates to the other. I'll give you another example. We, gave, we spoke last week about the example of the seed being planted in the earth, and growing into a tree. You ask the seed. I mean, we said this last week. You ask the seed, do you recognize the tree? The seed says no. 
the seed disintegrates into the earth, the earth sprouts forth life, the earth gives, uh, gives rise, gives, gives birth to vegetation, to a, tree, to a plant, to a flower, to a tree. You ask the seed, so, decompose seed, do you recognize what you're turning into? No, I don't see that. You ask the earth, do you recognize what's going on? The earth says yes. These powers, chesed, zah, chesed through so those six energies, are all about self. They recognize self. They don't recognize that which is born of their own inspiration. Because they're not part of, in a sense, they're part of the process, but they are not the process. Malchut is the process of birth. Malchut is communication, birth, leadership, creation. That's what Malchut is. The other energies, the previous six energies, are that which are plant. in a sense, they're planting the seeds for creation. But they relate to self. It's still about self. It's still about them. Malchut is about the other, so Malchut now relates to otherness and to the world. And what this means is something that's important to say. And what we're going to do after I say this is now we're going to, tr- we're going to trace it then to a higher source. Yeah. Justice or That's Gavura. Gavura, yeah. Gavura severity is also justice. Strictness, exact, definition. All of the all of those words are um, associated with Gavura. Chesed is more is love, giving, kindness, um, benevolence. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Sapphire. Yes. Aren't sapphires red? No, blue. Blue. Okay, okay. Does that mean anything? They're red sapphires? I know there are yellow sapphires. Could be other colors. But most sapphires are blue. I think most sapphires are blue. No? It's a pink sapphire. Oh, a pink sapphire. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it is. Does that mean anything? The color? Does that mean I haven't seen anything about the color. Okay. It could be out there. I haven't. I, it doesn't ring a bell. Asilut is the world of emanation, the highest spiritual realm that's closest to God, that's furthest removed. It's a, creator, it's, it's a realm that's the furthest removed from our physical reality. So that's what I'm saying. If you ask Atsilut, the energies of Atsilut itself, can you relate to a created world? It'll say, no. What are you talking about? Created world? I'm a world of I'm a world. I'm a godly world. I'm a godly realm. I'm the closest thing to God that you can find. In, not in an arrogant way. This is what this is what Atzilut says. Atzilut says, "I'm all about expressing God." Chesed, this divine love, divine uh, severity, divine creation, otherness. I don't relate to that. But Malchut relates to otherness. Why? Because Malchut is is only exists for the other. It's like communication. My power of communication. Does it understand the other? It better understand the other. It only exists because there's another. Because there is an other. Without an other, you, there's no need for communication. So communication, if we say Malchot in this example is communication. Communication only exists for the other, so it certainly understands it, it, it's connected with other. Whereas my own thoughts and ideas, I don't need anybody else for those. They could exist within me by, they could, my feelings can exist within me by myself. I don't need anybody else in order to experience a feeling. Yeah? Further removed from that, from the other, from the other. In other words, a simple example. I know that two plus two is four. Do I need anybody else in order for me to know that? Besides the fact that I was taught that, do I need? 
Do I need, does, is it critical that somebody else is here, that I'm communicating that to somebody else for me to know 2 plus 2 is 4? Certainly not. It's something that I know. Is it critical for somebody else uh, to be here, to be communicating? The fact that I, uh, that I like something? No one else needs to know that. It's, not, it's, it's an internal experience. But communication is all about the other. The other realms, the other powers are about how I feel, what I know, how I know, etc. But Malchut, which is leadership, communication, giving rise, giving birth to something else, it's all about the other. So the, you, the Malchut can't exist without the other. So Malchut certainly knows the experience of the other. We have some questions. Yeah, Jen. Not necessarily. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, we're we're not we're not given necessarily all of these in equal measure. No, I mean we all have the power. I apologize. The uh, I think the heat was set to a lower setting here. How do you spell atzibut in Hebrew? Aleph tzadik Lamed vav saf. Right, so we're not we're given all the ten powers, but no, I mean this is what makes the personality so unique. Our personality is so unique is that it has a different. Some people are more chesed oriented. Some people more gvura. Some people more tefer. There's a there's a there's a unique blend. But is the idea supposed to be On one level, not to say that if you're you have a dominant chesed side that you shouldn't utilize that. You shouldn't indulge in that for a good purpose. But in general, balance is always good. One thing that came to mind was um, sort of these individual energies almost as different ingredients with a very particulate, you know, a very particular resonance. You might have butter, speaking it kind of simplistic. Right. You know, butter, and you might have a spice, and you might have... And when they all come together, something else is created that then is used Right. So when you ask the energies themselves, the ingredients themselves, they're their own ingredient. They don't. They don't need anybody else to exist. But malchut, which is the process of putting them all together and then creating something new, that process only exists in order to create something new. So if you ask it in its deepest consciousness, do you know of an other? The other energies will say no. I don't know. I'm butter. What do you? What? What? Cake? I don't know. Cake? I'm butter. But if you ask, if you ask the baker, in a sense, if the baker is malchut, the one who puts everything together and then creates something new, you ask the baker, "Do you know of cake?" Of course, I know the cake. What do you think I'm doing? I take everything and I and I deliver a cake. Of course, I know what a cake is. You ask salt, "Do you know what a cake is?" No, I'm like salt. I'm salt. Do you know that you're about to be taken and put into a cake to batter and then made into a cake? Maybe I do, maybe I don't. But that's not me. It's not who I am. I'm salt. I'm pure salt. That's who I am. So let's understand again. It's a very simple idea. The energies have their own identity. And a, self, a self-identity. Malchut's identity is all about other. Malchut's identity is all about creating something else, bringing rise. So therefore, Malchut understands otherness. Yeah. Given that Malchut's about other, and it takes, from what I understand, it takes, it's about being like an empty vessel. Yep. Kind of what you're talking. But for someone to be strong in Malchut, are there certain, I mean, if someone's balanced in these other areas, are they more likely to have malhood in a healthy amount, or is there anything that goes into the That's a great question. somebody having malhood? We understand that these are separate energies. So to the extent of, 
an individual um, uh, uh, working on working on that power, the the idea is that you can work on them independently. But certainly, balance is always good. But malchut is its own. Somebody could have a lot of malchut, but they still might not have a lot of loving kindness or. Yeah, you can have a leader that that that's, that that excels in that without necessarily having the others. It's almost like this. It's almost like, do you need to have a strong gvura to have a strong chesed? Not necessarily. You can. It's independent. What's for the overall health is it good to have balance on one level? Yeah, absolutely. But they are independent. They can be worked on independently. Yeah, but I'm thinking of somebody like Hitler, who was a leader. I mean. What he creates is not necessarily a cake. It could be poison. Absolutely, right, right. And and and, and you know, one thing they say about him is that he was he had the ability to communicate horrific things. Mm. But certainly, when you look, in other words, the point is that these these powers understand that these powers could be used for good or for or for evil. Yeah. Right, these power—the way they exist in the world of Atzilut—they're godly powers. They're all—they're all good. It's all good. But the way we can use once they're—they're they're embedded now in the human soul. So now it's a tool. Now you can use—you know—you can do whatever you want with it. It's like a knife. I said many times a story where the young girl asked the, the Lubavitcher Rebbe in the fifties, or I don't know, back in the day, um, is uh, you know is. Atomic energy, nuclear energy, is it good or not good? So he said, uh, "Does your mother have a? Is there, do you have a, a knife in the kitchen?" So she says, "Yeah." He said, "So when your mother uses the knife, is it a good thing or not a good thing?" So she says, "It's good if it's used for uh, for for cooking, for you know, cutting food, whatever. It's, it's not good if it's used uh, in a violent way." So every all of these powers are powers that were given. You know, it's you know, you got to use the force for good. That's how we roam. How are they related to chakras? Or I don't know. In the body, because it looks like you know you've seen a lot of charts. No, the questions come up. I, I don't know. I, I'm not. I, I'm not um, well versed in okay. in that. So, in sh- chakralogist. People aren't really sure how many chakras are anyway. I'm. I'm not. Sure. It's a good question. No, it's it's come up, it's come up recently. I, I I just don't know the answer to it because I haven't studied it yet. I think the chakras go the other way. The chakras go up. Go up. This comes down. Yeah. There's different mod- There's different models. Anyway, so here's here's the point that I want to get to. Again, when we're talking about the world of Atzilut, the world of emanation, and you say to the world of emanation, "Do you know the the created reality?" So Malchut would say yes, and the other uh, the other energies will say no. It, which the implication of that is 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 tremendous. What does that mean? It means that if you ask the other energies. What do you think about the world? You know what they'll say? Whatever they're they'll say, what world? Or they'll say, oh, I heard about that place. You don't want to go there. <laughs> the other energies have no understanding of that realm. So their take on it is going to be, you don't want to go there. That's the other side of town. That's, that's a dangerous place. You want, you want to know where God is? God is right here. That stuff, I, I, I don't even know. I don't even know what that is about. But if you want to know where God's kindness, where God's severity, if you want to know where the divine powers are, that's that's us right here. That other stuff, that that otherness, I don't, we don't even get involved in that stuff. It just 
they even know about each other's energies? So like with the they know about each other's energies. In this, in this configuration called the Partsuf, they know. They know, and there's some sort of relation, but it's not, it's not... The point is that their take on the world is, oh, that's a... That's a that's, you don't want to go there. Malchut's take on the world is... What's Malchut's take on the world? Again, what we're doing is we're saying Atzilut and then the world. Obviously, there's other worlds in between. But let's just say, the, high, the spiritual world, and the, just simplify, spiritual world and physical world. What would Malchut say, Malchut of the spiritual world, say about our physical world? I know it. I know it. I help create it. And you should know that in that physical world... I, we're using all the spiritual energies. They're finding expression somehow in that physical world as well. So if you, ask, if you ask that very simple question, very simple question to the energies. You ask Chesed, is God in the world? What do you think Chesed says? I don't know. Either no or I don't know. If you ask Malchut, is God in the world? What does Malchut say? Absolutely. I created the world through the... Malchut says, I create the world. Malchut says, the world is created through Chesed, Gevurah, Tefer, Nesachot, Yesod. We took it all together, we blended it together, we popped out a world, that's it. Malchut is conscious of the energy that's flowing into the world because Malchut is the energy that's transmitting the flow of energy to the world. Whereas the other energies, the higher, the previous, the Zah energies... They, they, there's a disconnect between them and the final result. They don't sense that. They don't sense that the final result is anything, uh, it has any connection to them necessarily. So if you ask them a simple question, is God in the world? They might be completely ambivalent. They might say, I, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. So the way you're describing it makes a lot of sense to me because you're talking about one particular extreme energy that's a very isolated concept without any kind of you know, nuance to it. So, so it would make sense that if, if, you, if you think about like a person who's only focused on one energy, it, it that, doesn't... that has to do with flexibility that, has to go, that, that, that is imperative when you're talking about creation. Right, and, and it therefore can't relate to the, the finished product. It doesn't, it doesn't understand it, it doesn't know it. And even if it is utilized in that process of creation, that's again how Malchut utilizes to create. But it itself doesn't even recognize necessarily its role within that creation. So again, the relevant point that I want to bring out from this is, if you ask the energies of the world, of the spiritual realm, what, how would you define the physical realm? The higher energies might say, that physical realm, you don't want to go there. It's a, that's, a, that's a terrible place. God is not there. God is here. God is not there. Whereas if you ask Malchut, Malchut might say, good to see you. Malchut might say, Malchut will say, oh, that, that, I deliver, I deliver spiritual energy to that world every single day, every single moment. I'm the one that's, that's, crea- that's, that's creating it in a sense. I'm the one that's drawing life and energy to it. And it's coming from a higher source. I know the connection between the spiritual and the physical. This is, all, this is all what we've spoken about before. All of this is stuff we've spoken about before, maybe, maybe framed in a, in, a, in, a, in a new way, in a unique way, or not. But now we're going to get into stuff that we've never, I've never taught before. Ever. Sharpen your pencils. <laughs> now this, now this, this is, I must tell you, before we start, 
This is the stuff that, that you learn in yeshiva. When you're learning the mystical, this is the, high, the most advanced, this is the absolutely most advanced stuff. I'm going to I'm going to talk and, and, and we'll see what happens I'm going to try to communicate I'm going to put on my put on my malchut and we'll uh, get, get my malchut on and we'll we'll, we'll make it happen alright it's going to work it's going to work I will tell you that I'm nervous don't be afraid It'll only hurt for the next 45 minutes. Okay. Comes and goes. Have I been thinking about this concept for the last... Not necessarily. Huh? Um... Been longer than that since Yeshiva. I know I look young, but not. Uh... <laughs> Does everybody have a copy? Uh, you know what? Pass one back down over here, because we'll, I think Brian will probably sit over here or something. Okay. Okay. Let's begin. I have, a, I have an easy entry. You can't just jump right into it. You got to ease. Into it. Huh? Oh, sorry, I thought Okay, let's start with a, with a verse from the Torah portion that we read yesterday. Yesterday in Shul, we read about the giving of the Torah at Sinai, the Ten Commandments, the experience of revelation, etc. In the introduction before God actually communicates the Ten Commandments, there's an opening line. There's an opening line. David, take it away. Where it says, ladies first. So shall you say to the house of Jacob and tell the sons of Israel. This is what God is, says to Moses. Speak to the house of Jacob. So shall you say to the house of Jacob and tell the sons of Israel. In other words, to get ready for the experience of Sinai, etc. All of these things, including the Ten Commandments. Okay, continue. The Midrash. The house of Jacob, these are the women. The children of Israel, these are the men. Okay, so God says, first, Torah is meant to be communicated to the house of Jacob and then to the sons of Israel. What is the house of Jacob? Who is being referred to by the house of Jacob? The women. Who are the children of Israel? These are the men. Why does one imply one and one the other? That's a more technical discussion, but the point is the Medrash has its sources why technically one is, why each one is gender specific, one for the men, one for the women. What's the point here? The point is here that God is saying that Torah needs to be communicated first to the women and then to the men. Why? Ah, that's one of the reasons it's given. What number one, as we as we've been discussing this text, feminine faith, the power of feminine faith. You'll have an easier sell when it comes to, hey, I got this Torah. You'll have an easier the women have an innate sense of truth and faith, and so they they will be more receptive. Number one, number two, it's kind of jo- I mean I, I've seen it. Like half joking, half serious, but that uh, you know the the woman is she can dictate to the man and she can say you know what if she's on board with the Torah, we're more likely to get the men on board. Okay. Why aren't women allowed on the female? That's something else. That's something else. That's for my. 
No, it's a good question, but that gets into the that gets into the questions of how modesty and and and, and that the tzniyos issue. That's something else. So when you're talking about, let's say, uh, women's only minion, you can. In other words, there's a certain interplay between. Here's the, here's the point. The point is that as far as studying Torah right. and as far as Torah being ours collectively, we see here that the women have precedence over the men. Why is it that in a that in a synagogue, in a traditional synagogue, you'll have a mechitz, etc.? That's for another. That's for a completely separate reason. That's not in any way to diminish the role of a woman in the context of Torah. Yeah, no, I understand the mechitza, but why, then why aren't women allowed on the bima? The bima, again, is the idea of, again, it's for modesty, but it's almost like a, a, side, a side reason, in a sense, that becomes, that was deemed important enough to, to pull away certain things. Certain, uh, anyway, the point is, look, this requires, it's a good question, and it requires a much, much, yeah, it requires a much longer discussion, elaboration, about the history of it, and the sources, and the code of Shulchan Aruch, but the point that I want to bring out from here is that certainly, um, as we see in the Torah, as we see, as the Medrash explains, the women are given precedence over the men. Yeah, yeah, but there's a, the faith is stronger, so God, in a sense, God has... There's there's a certain familiarity with, for lack of a better better term, that the women will have with Torah. Then the men, it's going to be more of a learning curve for the men. So it's now, but that's all of this is what's explained in in your typical explanation. I want to explain this from a completely kabbalistic place, and in order to explain it, we have to get now. Now we're going to jump right right into the deep water. Okay, here's the deep water. This, what we're about to read, under the header Tzimtzum, this comes from the teachings of Rabbi Isaac Luria. Rabbi Isaac Luria is known as the Arizal, or the Holy Ari. He is the, um, if you ever read about Lurianic Kabbalah, it's named after him. Luria, his name was Isaac Luria. So Lurianic Kabbalah is his, uh, his stream of Kabbalah. But is that what we study? That's what we study, Lurianic Kabbalah. Uh, Rabbi Isaac Luria lived in Tzvat. He lived in various places, but his main... Uh, he passed away at, I think, 34, 38 years old. He was very young when he passed away. Um, but he lived in for the main teaching part of his life in Tzvat, in Safed, in Israel. He lived in the, in the 16th century, in the 1500s. Now, he, didn't, he himself did not author any books any books. He taught and his students recorded his teachings. His primary student was a, was a fellow whose name was Rabbi Chaim Vital. Rabbi Chaim Vital put to pen and recorded his master's teachings, the teachings of the Arizal, of Rabbi Isaac Luria. Okay. This is, um, and this is what he teaches. So this, so the book that he wrote, Chaim Vital, is a book called Eitz Chaim, which means Tree of Life. And this is what Rav Chaim Vital writes in Eitz Chaim, quoting the Arizal Rabbi Isaac Luria. Joy, take it away. In the beginning, a simple divine light filled the entirety of existence. When there arose in his simple will the desire to create the worlds, he contracted his light, 
withdrawing it to the withdrawing it to the sides and leaving a void and an empty space in its center to allow for the existence of the world. Let's stop here for a second. Let's take it line by line. In the beginning, a simple divine light filled the entirety of existence. What does that mean? That's all there was. Nothing else could exist because there was only God. We've, we have spoken about this concept before, that in a space of, even on a human level, somebody walks into the room and they have this overwhelming personality, everyone else shrinks. There's no room for anybody else to exist. Right? Somebody walks in and they've got, they got the whole thing going and there's no, there's no space for you. It's almost like there's no space in the room. So, in, this spa- it, 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 bef- at the be- in the beginning... This is before in the beginning of creation. But in the beginning, in the real beginning, there was only a simple divine light. And simple divine light, I'm going to define simple soon, because simple is a terrible definition. It's called ar pashut. Ar pashut. Peshin vav tes. Which is typically translated as simple. But it doesn't mean simple. It means much more than simple. But we'll, we'll explain that in a second. So this light filled the entire space of existence, so there's no space for existence. In other words, there was only God's presence, only God's light, only God's energy. So then what happened? Then what, then what do we read? When it arose in His will, in His simple will, again simple, Ratzin Pasha, again the word simple, to create the worlds, a desire to create the worlds, He contracted His light, withdrawing it to the size of leaving a void and empty space in its center to allow for the existence of the worlds. So it's almost like God pushes Himself to the sides. We're going to explain this in depth. Pushes Himself to the sides, leaves an empty space, leaves a void. He contracts. He contracts Himself. He pulls Himself, squeezes Himself to the corner. Okay? And now, now you have an empty space in the middle. Continue. Yep. However, this was not an absolute void, for there remained a residue of the divine light within the world, uh, within the void. Ramaz, oh, that's just too That's who, okay, which is going to be critical in a second. Okay. He then drew a single line of his infinite light into the void to illuminate the worlds. Okay, so there's a void, there's God's light, which fills every, every, the entire space. There's no other space, there's only God's light. Then there's what's called the tzimtzum, the contraction, where the light, where God's presence, in a, in a sense, or light, is contracted to the sides, withdrawn to the sides. There's a void and empty space in the center, and now that space can allow for the existence of the worlds. He says in the gloss over there, Ramaz. We'll get. Well, I'm going to explain who, soon who he was. He writes on Otsur Chaim, one of the works of Rav Chaim Vital. He writes this gloss. It's not an absolute. The, the, uh, quoting the Arizal also that it's not an absolute void. There's a residue of the divine light within the void, but the point is now we have this empty space. Then there's a, a line of infinite light drawn into the void to illuminate the worlds. Let me explain. If God fills the space, all space, can there be an existence of, of, of an independent world? No. So God removes Himself. So now can there be an existence of the world? But, but where, where's the energy? To, to, but now you have emptiness. Understand the problem? You only have emptiness. When you had presence, all, when you have all pervasive presence of God, so now there's no space for the worlds. So God removes Himself, so now there's an empty space. So in the empty space, there's worlds? No, there's empty space. So now what? E- either you have God or you have emptiness. So now what? You're still stuck. You 
You don't have God and you don't have a world. You have a space that can allow for a world, but where's the world? So now you have to draw. Understand, this is where he then drew. This is the critical point. A single line of his infinite light into the void to illuminate, i.e. give rise to the worlds. In other words, you have now empty space. God's presence is pulled to the side, so to speak. All of this is not literal. Then there's a line of energy, a single line of light that's drawn from the source into the void to now give life into the void and now create a world. Does that make sense? Sort of? So then how did God come into existence? God, what, if, you define, if, if I answer that question, that means we're not talking about God anymore. The definition of God is that which does not come into existence. That which is. Always. That's how we define God. God is not... Everything else comes into existence. God is defi- defining God now. But I'm saying God, the best we can say is that God is that which is not brought into existence. Coming into existence, yeah. Is that why all these charts are balanced with the energy going down the middle? We're going to see sooner in a second how it, how it kind of relates to what we're talking about. But yeah, what we have here is something called... The circle and the line. Or the space and the line. You have the space, and you could say it's an empty, you could say space in its center. Here there's an empty circle, right? You have the, the void. And then into the void, there's this line of light. There's this ray, one ray of light that bridges the emptiness, the space with the before. Now, how does it help? Let's just mechanically, how does it help? And again, it's. It's, it's not, we cannot understand this literally. We have to understand that it's, it's more than literally, but we have to start here on a, on a very uh, practical way. You have a space of infinite light that's blinding. You can't see. You can't see anything. You can't see because there's only light. So you say, it's dark now. You take away the light, now it's dark. Wonderful. Now you can't see because it's dark. So what you do is you bring back now a limited, the ray is one line of light. It's a limited ray. It's a limited, it's called the cav. The cav is a line. Cav is line. Line is the one line of light. The one line, single light of His infinite light into the void. And now, there's illumination, but it's limited. Whereas before you had an infinite presence and illumination, so that nothing else could exist, now you have the void. And in the void, you have now one line of light that is limited, streamlined, so that you can accept it. It's like a simple example. So I have, um, I have Comcast at home for high-speed internet. This class sponsored by Comcast. Okay, so here's the deal. There's something called, I don't know what it's called, but they've told me that sometimes if they measure the signal on the line and it's too much, it's going to mess up the speed of the internet. Does this make sense? They actually have to have to limit it. This is what they told me. <laughs> okay, wait. As, as I say this, I feel like I've been duped. No, no. But they, there's too much. There's not what? It's not AT&T. You can believe it. Uh, yeah. So, so it's if it's too much, if it's too much, whatever. So it's not good. In other words, the idea is that you're you're limiting it. You're limiting the experience of the light so that 
the light is now a useful light that can illuminate the space and can give rise to worlds that have their own definition. That, in other words, so you need the emptiness. You need the light because in a space of emptiness, so, so now nothing exists. Wonderful. Mazel tov. So you don't have anything. Oh, it was God. Whew, now the God's out of the way. Now we have nothing. Wonderful. So you got to pull in a light, a limited amount of light from the infinite, from the light, and now you can give rise to the worlds. Yeah. So that gives you a sense of relativity also so that you can measure whatever it is that's happening against it gives you a parameter it gives you our sense of relativity in other words there's light against the darkness not only does it do that it gives it gives the possibility for there to be a limited space and understand that without taking away everything I'm going to give you the example that's given in, in, in Kabbalah teaching it's teaching you got to take away everything and then bring back the lesson plan. Because if you try to go like this, you may never get there. It's still going to be too big. So you act, it's what it says. I mean, whether it's done or not. You take away everything. What does that mean? You say take away everything. Everything that you know. You stop thinking. You stop thinking. Yeah, you, you have like all these ideas in your head. You put everything to the side. And then you say, you start again. From the perspective of the student. What, and you start in a limited way. It's not like you're taking this and trying to go like this. You throw everything away, and then you say, what am I given? Different, look, there's different models that are said, but this is one way of, of understanding it on some level in a practical way. I was just thinking of, when you were speaking of the analogy of a child, when a parent is trying to teach a child something, and they're trying to teach them something, and they don't have enough space to grow. Oh, on the other hand, if the parent completely is removed from the situation, you're creating a right. It's it's a it's a realm of chaos and or darkness, and there's no there's no instruction being given. So there needs to be again. It sounds like it's oh, it, it's it kind of sounds like there's balance, but understand that you can't get the balance unless you get rid of the previous, because the previous is too big to just find balance on its own. Now, all of this is by introduction. Yeah. What about the residue? Wouldn't that? Ah. I want to get to the residue in a second. Like, couldn't God just uh, remove himself until there was just this, this ray of light versus... I'm going to explain. Good, good. I understand. Because why can't God... Oh, why can't God take away 99% and leave the 1%? And there you have contrast. And I'm totally with you. I'm totally with you. The independence had to be there first. I'm, right. So, let, let me explain. So... Good. It's a very good question. It's going to be answered in a second. I want you to turn to the back of the page. You see where it says Kabbalah vocabulary? Okay. This is very important. I, I, I just want you to become familiar with the words because I want to use the words a little bit. So keep it here. Keep it locked here to Kabbalah vocabulary. Ore and Sof is infinite light. So, Jeff, you have? Messed up. Thanks. Tzimtzum is the contraction that we spoke about. Ari and Sof is the infinite light that was filling all the space. Tzimtzum is this contraction, is this taking, wiping away all the light, which creates the makampani, the empty space or void. The kav is the line, oh, maybe I should have reversed the order. Kav is the line of light that's subsequently drawn into the empty space. Rishimu is the residue of divine light that exists in the empty space even without the line of light coming into it. Right? Which the gloss of the Ramaz. The Ramaz has the gloss that there was Right? As Yaakov just pointed out, there was a, there was a, a residue of divine light. Pashut is the word that we use for simple, but really means undefined and non-divisible, which we'll see what that means in a second. Let me explain now. 
That this is all, this is all what you would read, and what you read in Kabbalah, and it kind of makes sense. Okay, so God was too big, so everything was gone, and then, oh, everything's gone. Great, now we have nothing, so there's a line of light, done. And now the worlds can, can, can be given rise to. Let me explain how, what this really means. The way it's explained um, in many uh, very deep Kabbalistic texts. God's light, as it exists, before the tzimtzum, before His light is withdrawn, is called a simple light, which we're defining as undefined and non-divisible, which means that it's an energy or light or presence that has everything inside it, but it's not defined and distinguished. In other words, everything is inside it, but you cannot see the distinctions of one versus the other. Let me explain. Are you the, about Orain, so, so yeah, well, the Orain Sof is infinite, but it's also Pasha. In fact, in Kabbalah, in the Yitzchayim, he doesn't even call it the Aryan Sof at that point. He says, in Betchila, there was an Arpasha, there was a simple light that filled all the space. What does a simple light mean? In other words, that light has everything in it, but nothing as you can see it. The Tzimtzum, according the way it's understood, the Tzimtzum brings out one thing, definition. And I'm going to explain what that means. And it's based on what the Avodat HaKodesh says, where it says division of power at the bottom, bottom of the page. Go back to the first side of the page. I'm putting together a puzzle here, but just uh, all you have to do is understand each piece. Even if you don't see how they come together, it's going to come together very soon. Division of power. The Avodat HaKodesh. Alright, John, take it away. Just as he possesses the power of infinity, so does he possess the power of finiteness. For should you say that he possesses the power of infinity, but not, does not possess the power of finiteness, you are detracting from his perfection. God is not only infinite... God has the ability to not only be infinite, but to also be finite. And the vote that the Kodesh says, if you say, if you tell me, that God only possesses the power of the infinite, the Orin Sof, the infinite light, if God is only infinite, and doesn't have the power of definition or finiteness, then you're detracting from His perfection. You're saying that God is not, does not have the ability of Gvul. I want to use the, the there's Bli Gvul, which means without limit, and then there's Gvul, which is limit. So God, so you would think that God's energy is believable. It's infinite. There's no, there's no limit. If there's no limit, then you're, li- then paradoxically, you're limiting God to the space of, of no limits, right? So to say that God does not possess the power to limit is to impose a limit upon God. Understand? If God is truly everything, then God also has, in addition to the power of unlimitedness, bleakful, without limit, also has the power of limiting. Where is that power of limiting expressed? When is it expressed? At what stage is it expressed? When the light was filling all space of existence, did you see God's power of, of the ability of God to limit Himself? Only when the symptom happens do we see that God also has the power of limiting Himself. God is not limited to the force of unlimited, but God also possesses the power of being able to limit Himself. 
And if not so, because if we would say that he doesn't have that power, we would be detracting from his perfection. We're taking away from his perfection. If God has everything, God also can have the power of limiting himself. But again, when do we see that? When does that emerge? When is that power, when is that power exercised? In the process of removing his light and the tzimtzum and creating that empty space. This is what the residue is. The re- this, is, this is the residue. What is the residue? What does it mean that when God took away His light, there was a residue of divine? It means that now you see a different strain of, God, of God's power. Now you see God's power of finiteness. The space itself is an empty space. There's no light in that space. But what is that space if not God's power of diminishing Himself, of taking Him away from that space? In other words, it turns out that the empty space is nothing more than God hiding Himself. Trying to find me, look, I'll show you that. It's not only trying to define me, it's it's before the Tsimsum, you only see God's power of bleakful, of, of infiniteness. When the Tsimsum comes and God says, No, I'm taking myself away, I'm creating an empty space. Now, now there's empty space. I'm not here. Who's here? God's here. God, what power of God is right here in that space of emptiness? It's like the parent. The parent that says up to the child, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I want you to make the call. The parent is educating in that moment. The parent is there. In not being there, the parent is there. In this space, if it's done in a healthy way. If it's just checking out, then it's not there. But this is, we're talking about a healthy way. When God removes Himself to create the space for otherness, for us to exist, in that empty space, says the Ramaz, Rabbi Moshe Zakuto, who was born in Amsterdam, and who was a colleague of Baruch Spinoza. So, Rabbi Moshe Zakuto writes, based on the teaching that he got from Binyamin Halevi, who was a student of Chaim Vital, who was a student of the Rizal, teacher to student down, he got a tradition that when the Rizal said there was a void, it wasn't a perfect void. There was a residue of energy. What is the residue, as explained in Hasidus Chabad, and Chabad teachings, what is the residue? It's not that there was a 99% was missing, but there was one a little bit, there was a complete void. But in the void itself, what is the void if not God's power of limiting Himself? Which turns out, so it turns out that nothing actually happened with the Tzimtzum, except for there being a division of two powers. Understand? What, what the tzimtzum gives rise to is a division of powers. Whereas before the tzimtzum, all you see is one light. And the dominant force of that light is the power of infinite, bleakvul, no limits. When the tzimtzum happens, suddenly now you see two strains separated. You're, you're now identifying what this arpasha, what this undefined, non-divisible light actually does contain. There's a power of God of God's bleakful, of God's unlimited, and there's a power of God's limitedness. There's a power of God's finiteness. Does this make sense what I just said? That symptom doesn't actually take away God. All it does is it separates out a strain that you didn't know existed, i.e. the ability of God to hide Himself, to conceal Himself. The ability of God to, to of finiteness. So there's a presence of God. But the presence of God is paradoxically self-hiding. So you see the power. So the residue is because this is God. There's also the power of God to, to, to of, of God presenting Himself as here I am. There's a power of God to say here you are. I'm going to give you space. There's a power of God to say here I am. Before that, Simsum, 
the light, the original light, we don't call our Ein Sof, the infinite light, because that would only bring out the fact that God is infinite. We call it our Pashit, which means that the light is, was not divisible. You weren't able to see the distinctions, the colors in the light. Comes the Tzimtzum, now it's separated out. Oh, God has two powers. There's the power of presence and the power of withholding. Fantastic. In the space of withholding, now the world can emerge. God says, I'm giving you space to now rise. But how does it actually play out? There has to be a line of light drawn from God's presence to infuse the space with some, sort, one, one, some form of light. But here's the trick. And now we take it to the next step. The next step is, based on all of this, we can understand our purpose in life. There's two points. One is to bring more light in, and one is to illuminate how this too is God. Understand? One is to, to Kav, and one is the Rishimo. One purpose in life is to bring in more light from the other side, so to speak. To bring in the lines of light. That's one thing, to bring in God's light. Oh, it's not an empty space. Here's more light. I'll show you. Look, there's light from outside. Let me bring it in. Let me do a mitzvah. Let me bring in the light. There's another purpose why we're here, or there's another part of our divine mission, not to bring the light from the outside, but to show how this empty space, this is two, this too is God. You see the distinction? One is bringing in light from the outside, which is the consciousness of this place is dark. We need to bring it, we need to import light, right? We need to import light. The other mode, the other modality is, I'm not bringing in light. I'm demonstrating how this space is also an expression of God. This is why in our life we have two, two types of divine service. One is to do a mitzvah straight up. We do a mitzvah, right? Mitzvah. God says, do a mitzvah, I do a mitzvah. When I do a mitzvah, I'm, it's, it's God's will. From the other side, right? God's pure will. I'm doing a mitzvah, I'm bringing light into the world. Within the dark space, I'm now channeling light. Every mitzvah is a channel, point of energy, line coming in. Whoosh, brings light into the world. Fantastic. And then there's the rest of our lives. When we're not doing a mitzvah. We're eating we're drinking, we're sleeping, we're doing business, we're doing all of these things. If we do it in, if we engage in these activities in a higher way, what we're doing is we're demonstrating that the empty void itself is not just an empty void, but this itself, God is here in the empty void itself. So you understand the difference? One perspective says, this world is broken, I need to fix it. And one perspective says, let me show you how beautiful this world is. This is the male and this is the female. This is the masculine energy, this is the feminine energy. One says, I need to bring in, we need to, it's broken, we need to fix it. It's broken here, it's dark here. It's a muck and pun, it's an empty space, there's a void of God. We got to bring in stuff, we got to do stuff. And the other perspective says, look how beautiful this, look how beautiful this is right here now. Look how beautiful this empty space is. Oh, it's not so empty. The empty space is Hashem also. The empty space is God. It's a different power of God, but this is God. Let me show you how it's God. One is changing, and one is cultivating. One is a masculine energy, and one is a feminine energy. The masculine energy is, is, is let me, conform to my vision. Right? Because this is dark. You need the light. We need to fix, we need to... The other one is, let me, show, let me cultivate, let me, let me show you how this itself is a beautiful space. Let me cultivate life, let me show you how this is beautiful. An image that I just had was one is sort of classical music with a score, 
and one is jazz improvisation that is kind of comes from from another place. Yeah. I need more examples of the feminine. This too is interesting. This is why the Torah was given to the women first. Because even though Torah is all about the mitzvot, it seems like Torah is about mitzvot, but mitzvot is, is you have to do something else to fix the world, you've got to do something to bring in the, But really, Torah is about t- giving you a way of life. Torah is really giving you the 613 so that your 24-7 is different. You see the difference? Torah is about giving you things to do that are going to change fundamentally how you are, how you think, what you do, so that when you're doing everything else and you're not doing a mitzvah, you're still doing that in a different way. Does this make sense? Yeah, because the purpose is to realize, the ultimate purpose of Torah is to recognize that it's not something that we have to fix, it's something that we have to reveal is already there. There's two understandings, either there's no, either there's no hope for this world and we have to import light, or, no, 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 dig deeper, this world has light inside of it. The point that, we're say, that I'm tr- trying to say here is that in the space of void, there is God's presence. A different form of God's presence, but absolutely it's God's presence of concealment. In other words, God is here in concealment. So our job then is to, unra- is to unwrap, is to take off the con- is to, is to reveal that the concealment is itself God. How do we do that? By, by living, by, 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 util- by, by engaging in the concealment with white gloves. When I say, I'm trying to use, figure out the right terminology. Engaging in the concealment, in the nitty-gritty, in the everyday, in that space that looks like darkness, engaging it in a way that bespeaks its power, that respects its power. Because when I eat, I recognize it's a special experience. I'm not just eating food. I'm partaking of God's world. Because God is in the world. I, it just looks like food. It's not a mitzvah. There's no mitzvah that says, you have to eat. There's no mitzvah to eat. You have to be healthy, so that includes eating. There's no direct mitzvah to eat. But when I eat in a mindful way, in a healthy way, in a, in a, in a, in a Torah-inspired, Torah-infused way, so what I'm doing is, I'm, re- I'm demonstrating, or I'm, I'm living in a way that, that the space, the empty space, is not so empty after all. The empty, I'm respecting the space of the world itself, that it too is a part, is a part of God. I hope this is coming through clear. Yeah. We're not, we're not, we're beyond like empty space where the, the light is already back. A lot of the, you know, a lot of the light is. Our job is, we're not done yet. Yeah. We're still bringing in light. Yeah, there's diversity and there's, um, you, know, you look at the different animals and plants and they're all doing crazy things. They're all different kind of wild and wacky colors and I mean, more just amazing, bizarre stuff that you've never seen. And... My question is, since it seems like there's a lot of light, you know, a lot of uh, stuff going on in, in intricate ways, um, do we, is it given to us, uh, like, was it imparted to us the knowledge that that's divine? Like, was that, when, when God brought the light back in, did he give us, was it necessary for us to, um, to already have the knowledge of him or her it, uh to, to, to realize that all this life is, is divine. This is what Torah is about. Torah is about what happened before Torah. It was communicated in, 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 in tighter circles. But Torah is all about telling us, message number one, the world 
God created the world. In other words, the world itself is divine. Number two, here are things to bring more light into the world. Number three, when you engage in the world and you're not necessarily bringing in light from the outside, recognize that you can engage in the world in a way that bespeaks its holiness. By eating in a proper way. By doing business in a proper way. All of these things, by doing that... So that's, that's my point. Torah is really what's communicating this message to us. And so, and just to, to, to get back to this idea, so... Yeah. Um, also, there, there's so much out there, you know, nature, that there's this movie, The um, Microcosmos, where they see uh, a butterfly pollinating, you know, a flower, and the flower that actually can break, you know, and wraps its, its petals around the butterfly in this, like, embrace of, you know, different types of emotion or, you know, uh, right. gratefulness or whatever. I mean... Um, how much are we supposed to learn from nature and, and interact and things like that? That's, that's There's, there are tremendous lessons to learn from nature, and, and the more the, the the more the more sensitive we are, the more we can learn from nature. I mean, I, I, the point is the point is either learning from nature, but but also engaging the world in a way that 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 evokes or that expresses the the, the notion that we that we are. In touch with the in- inherent divinity within the world. Yeah. Two, two questions. One. Um, so, do both the masculine, the doing the mitzvah, and the feminine of cultivating both of those bring the Messiah? Uh, yeah. 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 Both, yeah. both of them. Yeah. We need to exercise both ideas of doing mitzvot and also engaging in a becholder chagadeu in all your ways. You should know God. In other words, engaging in a holistic type of. Uh, of, of experience, absolutely both are both are critical, the masculine and the feminine. But the point here is that they, they serve different they serve very different roles. So again, I just just so that I hope it comes through clear as, as follows. There was the originally there was the light, the big light, the light that didn't have any definition, no space for the worlds. Then God removes his presence, which really is more of separating out the the infinite, the power of infinite from the power of finite, the power of not limited to the power of uh, to the power of limited. So now there's a there's the power of God's limit, God limiting Himself, and that's the space that the world exists. Then there's a light, a kav that comes in that illuminates that space. And so again, there's two ideas. There's God's power, the light, in a sense, the light that is bright and the light that's dark. You have two types of light. And so one type of light we're cultivating with mitzvot in our service, and one we're cultivating with. Uh, with recognizing and with demonstrating that the world itself, that looks dark, is also bright. And again, one is a, more of a masculine mode, and one is a more feminine mode. So, for example, the, the bracha that we say when we eat, yeah. is that more about saying, see, God is here in this world, as opposed to bringing light in? So, more bracha, the bracha is, it does say, is, is about eliciting light and bringing it in. But I would say that in in most things, I would say there's a there's a you have a complementary type thing. There's there's bringing from outside and there's also raising from within. I'd say both kind of both kind of occur. But when you know the bracha might yeah when when there's a blessing, it's usually the idea of bringing light into it. But eating in a mindful way, you know, subsequently, and then and then anything else that we do in a way that's that that's coming from a, a, a sensitivity inside us that it's not just the world. There's something. It's a garden. We're meant to cultivate this place. That's all. That's all the the mode from below 
so to speak, from below up. Yeah. Is that when you were talking about what the rabbi was, um, the rabbi was saying to another man that at first you might look at a person and just see darkness, but yeah. if you dig a little deeper, there's jewels. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like that. Exactly. It's exactly what it is. It's and again, it all stems from this Kabbalistic teaching. I mean, it all comes from the process of creation. That the space of the space of darkness itself, there's a reshima, there's a residue. What does it mean? There's a residue. There's this too is God. This is also God. Different form, God's concealment, but this concealment is also God. What if the only darkness we ever see really is in man? That nature is kind of there's life and death, and there's transformation there. You know, there's sacrifices, you know, one thing eats another thing, eats another thing, eats another thing. But um, that just seems to be the way it is. But right. the only real darkness seems to be in, in man. Then do we direct our focus to, you know, educating? Yeah, the idea is that, that in each of us, in, in all of the world, etc., there is... Yeah, that that there is this uh, this divine power, and even even the the power of opposition, so to speak, the yates or horror, the evil inclination. This too is a power of God. There is this. So the, the, the short answer is yes. I mean, but it depends on the perspective. You know, somebody's perspective on nature could be different than somebody else's. And the, so this is the idea. The idea is that there's a masculine and feminine, and once again, we have the same idea, which is the source of Zah and Malchut. This is the same thing. Kav and Rishima, and again, I'm using the Hebrew terms, the light and the residue, the Kav and the Rishima, is the same thing as Zah and Malchus. Zah says, right, I got it, the, the world is dark, so if anything, we're going to have to fix it. We're going to have to impose on it. Because the world right now, is, it's, it's something other. I don't, I don't get it. It's, below, it's low, it's dark, it's ugly, it's whatever. So there's no light in it. Unless, unless we say there's light, unless we bring light into it, there's no light. Whereas Malchut says, no, 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 no. There's plenty of light in the world. There's plenty of light in the world. There's plenty of brightness. Even if it doesn't look the same, there's plenty of light within That's it. That's the point. That so struck me here when in the middle of a service or at your home when we're in a very deep conversation and the kids interrupt, they're always welcome. Yeah. It's not an interruption. I'm with you. I'm absolutely. If the moment that uh, moment that kids aren't welcome in, in a Jewish experience is the moment there's no continuity to the next generation. I mean, that's. But I, but it's it is about a whole experience. So the point here is that again that if you ask if you ask the Kav, if you ask Zah, what does the world look like? It's going to say the world. The world is an empty place. The world is a dark place. You want God? God is up here. God is in the light, not in this empty space, not in the darkness. God's not there. If and and if you want God there, so you got to do, so you got to import, you got to import God. You got to do a mitzvah. You got to you got to pull over the light from somewhere else because there's no light here. If you ask Malchut, if you ask the Rishimo, God is right here. You just have to un, you have to just reveal the God that's inherent within creation. 
the one black man thinking the elephant was the tail. Oh, yeah. Says, oh, no, it's, it's soft and floppy, and the other one says, no, it's, it's hard. They're each feeling, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody can see the whole thing. Yeah, everyone has their has their perspective. The point is that both are correct, that both are accurate, both have their their space. The the question though is, which role which role do we take? Which uh, which space are we in? Are we in? So there's a masculine, and again, the, there are different energies. And when it comes to energies. It's, as we've said many times, and, and, and the, the, the running disclaimer is it's not necessarily gender specific. The point is that there are different, there's a masculine energy and a feminine energy. And the, the upshot of all this is that the masculine energy is one that perceives the world as a void, as something that's empty, something that doesn't have the divine. So we need to do something to fix that. The feminine perspective is that the world is a beautiful place. The world is a garden. And because the world's a garden, I'm going to show you how. You don't have to do anything. You just, let me show you. Let me, let, me, let me show you how to look at this a little bit differently than you are. That's the feminine energy. It's the feminine take on the world. It's quite understandable then to get back to our discussion, and with this we'll conclude, and we'll pick it up next week, and I think we'll get actually some text read. It's understandable now. You promised that last week. I know. I know. I, I try to I try to stick to my commitment, but I, this um, this explains the idea of feminine faith. The power of the feminine to see God in the world, when the masculine take would be, oh, I don't see Moses. Where is he? I don't see. Uh, didn't come down the mountain. I don't see God. Let's create. Let's create a golden calf, right? Let's let's create something. The feminine perspective is, God's here the whole time. What are you talking about? We don't, need to, we don't need to throw gold in and to worship and to do stuff. We got God. It's doing or being. It's, we don't have to do. God is here. This is the feminine take on it. It's a completely different approach. This is why the, the, the women were not part of the golden calf. They said, what are you th- stop hacking at China. God is not here. Oh, God, God left. You, you, hacking a china means banging a tea kettle. It means stop. Uh, hack, how do you translate hacking a china? Stop, stop, stop fooling around. Stop hacking. Stop hacking a china. So someone's saying something foolish. You're like stop hacking a china. So women said, stop hacking a china. What are you? Uh, Moshe didn't come down, so now God is not here. What are you saying? God, you think God changes? You think because you don't see the calf coming in, there's no light in the Rishima? Of course there is. You think just because Zah says, oh, I don't see it. Malchut, of course it's right. Of course God is here. You don't need to, a foreign worship to find God. God is here. Next week. I will say, I will say, I will say that um, if you want to look at the last, we skipped one text here. This is bonus. This is extra credit. Look on the back of the sheet, above Kabbalah vocabulary, where it says the contract. This is the opening text of the Tanoim, which is the traditional premarital contract. No, not the Ketubah. No, 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 no. The Ketubah is the marital, well, I guess it's called, no, this is the premarital contract. The Ketubah is the marital contract. He got under the Chubah, the Ketubah. This is what's done. It's not always done, but some have a custom of, at the engagement of writing up the Tanoim, 
which basically is a pledge that both parties are going to go to the chuppah. It's basically formalizing and writing the intent to get married. But if you look at the text, this is the way the text is explained in Kabbalah. It says, first of all, so-and-so will marry so-and-so. At the beginning, the opening text, in accordance with the law of Moses in Israel, and then it says, they will not hide away nor conceal anything from each other. They will live together in love and affection, as is the way of the world. So the question is, why does it, is this, the Rebbe asked us in a question in 1954. I read a letter that the Rebbe asked this question. He says, somebody writes that their child, I think, was getting engaged. He's like, oh, let me tell you about engagement. He writes this letter. This is before he was Rebbe. He was, he, so they will, he was at that point, the son-in-law. Uh, no, he didn't say that. They will, so he's asked the question, why doesn't it say first, they will marry, and they will live together in love and affection, and they will not hide, why do you first focus on the negative? Why do you first say that they will not hide away nor conceal anything from each other, then they will live together in love and affection? Why not first they will live in love and affection, and they won't hide, they, it will be an open, they, they won't be hiding anything. Huh? The Rebbe explains it completely Kabbalistic based on what we said. He said, we're talking about the masculine and feminine energies. We're talking about the Kav and the Rishima. We're saying that the... And this is what... What is the marriage? The marriage is the harmony of both of these energies. Number one, you're importing light from outside. Number two, you're, you're, you're revealing the inner light. And that brings Mashiach when you have, as you said before, right? both of those energies coming together. That brings fulfillment. That brings completion. So that's number one. And the process then is they will not hide away. What's hide away? That means that the kav will come in, the line of light will be drawn in, nor conceal. The concealment will be revealed as not a concealment that will be um, open and, and, and revealed as the concealment itself is, is God's presence. But won't there need to be, I mean, I guess he's meaning it different way. There needs to be some concealment for there to be love in the relationship. What? No, the idea is. No, what he's no, what he's saying here is not, that's all. You're talking about on a human level. We're talking about now on a kabbalistic level. What he's saying is that in the process of doing mitzvot, which is causing that they'll not hide away. In other words, that the energy that the energy that's beyond the tzimtzum is going to be drawn in. In other words, what does it mean they will not hide away? It means we're doing a mitzvah. Nor conceal. What does that mean? Nor conceal means you're revealing that in all your other affairs in life, all your other activities in life. In other words, you're not only doing mitzvot, which bring in life from the outside, but you're also you're also living a life in a way that demonstrates that God is in everything that we're doing. So through these two things, then they will live together in love and affection as the way of the world. Then that brings the, the perfection of the world, both from without and from within, and that brings the, the divine light, both from... Out, yeah, anyway, okay, good. So that's, uh, that's a little bit of a bonus. Literally, he's also talking about uh, revealing strengths and weaknesses, and not just, you know, posturing, but... Oh, the literal meaning of this? Yeah, all of the above. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, but the power—the power of this kabbalistic teaching—is that you now understand the order. You understand the, why it says both hide away nor conceal. You say what's being repetitive. There's two points. There's that the, you're bringing the kav and you're revealing. You know, you're bringing in and you're also cultivating. In other the point is that you need both the masculine and the feminine work. In other words, you need both work. You need both doing a mitzvah which is basically the, pro- the declaration of this place is too dark, we need to do something light. And it's also engaging in the darkness in a way that demonstrates that you know that there's a potential for light within the darkness itself. You need to work on exercise both in order to... need to. We ought to. Exercise both in order to, to bring about a, 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 a world that, that finally does reach its completion and uh, gets back to, to what God intended when He first created this, uh, this wonderful thing that we call the world. Um, Alright, that's it for today. I hope that made sense. We didn't... Um, you know, we covered a lot of it. There's still... We're all still... Yeah, we're all still here. 
Hopefully it's well the four did, but that's some kind of story. Anyway, but the right. So, so that's um, that's a little bit about the uh, about the kav and the tzimtzum and the makamponroi and the rishimo and the ramaz and all that good stuff. Yeah. Next week we're going to get back into the text. We're going to read chapter five and we're going to understand why it is. I think so. We'll see. This is the plan, at least. The plan is that we're going to break God willing, bleed out there without taking a vow, taking without any promises. Please, God, will break into chapter five. We'll read the text and we'll, we'll read inside why it is that the women were impervious to the temptation of creating a golden calf.